Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gabby Roslin here. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I adored chatting to our guest this week. It's the all-round entertainer, Jason Manford. We talk about his brilliant volunteer work throughout the pandemic, his admiration of Sir Bruce Forsyth, and the game show that Jason did called Big Heads, which makes me barely laugh. He also talks about growing up in a house full of laughter and how he wants to emulate that for his six children. And he talks very passionately about laughter being the best medicine. And quite frankly, I agree with him. I am hugely thankful that this episode is sponsored by one of my favorite companies, Simprove. It's a food supplement containing live and active bacteria, which has done wonders for both mine and my family's health. More information at simprove.com with the discount code GABBY, that's G-A-B-Y 15, for 15% off the 12-week program. And I'll tell you more about them later. Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing by pressing the follow or subscribe button on the show? Now, I have to tell you, this really honestly does not cost any money. It's completely free. And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Jason Manford, the thing about you, Jason, I always say this to you, to your face, as it were, um, even though we're not face to face, but you have funny bones. Ah, oh, well, that's always nice to say. I, I don't feel like I have. Yeah, you <laughs> do. No, but even when you feel like you haven't, you still they're still there. I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's a weird thing, comedy, you know, because you can't overthink it. Like, I... There's a famous phrase, which a famous saying that says, "Studying comedy is like uh, studying the anatomy of a frog. If you cut it open to see how it works, it doesn't work anymore. So you can't ever think about, am I funny? Am I? Am I? Because the second you start thinking about that, you start getting self-aware, and oh, it's a slippery slope." Do you say, but you know when you do your straight stuff, because I, I think, oh, yeah. um, some of the stuff. I, I mean, like some of your straight stuff, as you know, because I remember messaging you after. Was it ordinary lives? Was it ordinary, ordinary lives? lives? Yeah, yeah. <gasps> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my word! But the pathos and all of that. Yeah, it was good fun that. But but comedians can do that so well. I think yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I, I think comics do lend themselves to being able to be, uh, you know, serious at time, and and you see that happens quite a lot. Um, you know, like even in things like. You know, Peter Kay's car share or, or Ricky Gervais's afterlife to, to pick some recent ones. But even like when you see Billy Connolly and Mrs. Brown and uh, 
great films like that. Yeah, I think this. I don't know. I think there's something about comedians that there is a pathos to them because a lot of them have sort of gone through stuff, you know, in their lives. And I guess that is that's part of what acting is, I suppose, is using your your own experiences, to, uh, uh, you know, to bring something to to the script or whatever you've been given to say. So, yeah, they do. Uh, so I think I think you're right. How much of your life is spent with people going, "Oh, Jason Manford, go on, make me laugh." Less so now, I think people. Oh, have, really? People have realised. Yeah, yeah. People have realised now that I'm actually quite miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I laugh. Yeah, you say to me you're miserable, and I laugh. That's really friendly. Yeah. Um, no, not really. But I think generally, you 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 start surrounding yourself with people who don't don't do that. <laughs> Don't put that pressure on you. So, you know, I've still got mates, you know, that, that from school and stuff like that who, I mean, a lot of my friends can't even believe I'm a comedian. Like, you know, people often say, oh, you're the, were, you the, were you funny at school? You're like, not, not massively. I thought I was. <laughs> a, lot <of> my mates, <laughs> a lot of my mates like, I can't, can't believe you're a comic. <laughs> Let, I, I'd love to talk to you about the delivery driver that you became. And and <laughs> it's really weird because I know you and I've interviewed you so many times. Um, and I was doing my, I was just uh, doing my um, Googling of you yesterday. And that seems to still be the top story that comes up. Yeah, I guess because it, it's relevant, is it, I suppose, for uh, for, for the times we're living in. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it, it's been... It's been a busy lockdown, really. I'm always busy. You know me. I'm always doing something. So when suddenly my job was taken off me um, through uh, through no fault of anybody's, uh, I, I suddenly felt like I don't know. I just thought I felt bored and thought I need to yeah. I need to sort myself out here. So I um, I remember one night. I think the the on the Monday the the show I was in curtains was was um, was curtains uh, finished on the Monday, and lockdown started on maybe the Wednesday or something. And it was around that time where everybody was, um, you know, all the papers were talking. It was like it was war was looming. You know, it was like, we need 50,000 people to pick fruit and 40,000 people to deliver food and, uh, you know, come come and bring your metal. We need to melt it down. Like it was, it felt full on war. And uh, and so I remember one night just sort of sitting there and I thought, there was like a volunt- volunteers thing on in, in Manchester. And I thought, well, I'll just I'll just apply to a load of these. And then I applied to a couple of jobs as well that I'd sort of seen. They needed somebody to overnight, you know, in a supermarket or whatever. Um, and then thought nothing of it. Got a couple of ones back. So I did some driving for a, a thing called Stockport Car Scheme, which was taking uh, sort of vulnerable people to, to their uh, NHS appointments and whatnot. And um, and also another one called the Rainbow Trust, which is a lovely charity which delivers sort of care packages to uh, people who are in the country for the first time and, you know, struggling. And so I did that over the summer. And then about 10 weeks into it, I got this letter uh, or an email from Tesco to say that I'd been turned down for their job as a um, shelf stacker. And <laughs> and I sort of posted it because I thought it was funny that I got turned down for this job. Um, because they'd also said that I didn't have any previous experience, which I was livid about because in my, I, I do, I did used to work in a supermarket like when I was 17, but still, that is previous experience. Can't have changed that much. Um and I posted about it and said, uh, and then of course, naturally with Twitter and, and and various things, it sort of caught fire a little bit. And then uh, Iceland got in touch and said, "Well, if Tesco have turned you down, we won't. Why don't you come and <laughs> deliver some uh, <laughs> groceries for us?" <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, so I went and did a couple of shifts for them, and they made it. To be fair, they you know it was a it was a PR thing for them, and, and they made a lovely donation to a, a charity that I'm a patron of here in Manchester, the Children's Adventure Farm, and uh, it was actually a bit of a laugh to be honest, Gary. I actually quite enjoyed it. Have you ever driven a, a van? Years ago on TV. Oh, oh, it's something about being you sort of higher up, looking down at people, uh, you know, morally and also just physically. It was lovely. I could really get used to it. <laughs> Well, I hope you don't have to, but I I have to say, though, all the delivery drivers, I now, I get into such long conversations with them because I just, I must say thank you to them about a hundred times each time they deliver anything because it's just been so extraordinary. And, and, and And some of them tell me about that they get caught by mad women like me. Oh, how are you? How's the family? What have you been up to? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for delivering. But also they said that they're a, they, they feel that they're a lifeline because so many people don't talk don't to anybody. On, yeah. I mean, forget yeah. about um, lockdown and lockdown two and lockdown whatever and tier systems. Even before mm. that, delivery drivers are really, it's a vital role for people living Massive, on their own, yeah. for the elderly. Totally. Yeah, it really is. Really, you, you notice it with, with um, you know, I, I I was taking this lady to um, to get her, to the chiropodist to get her feet done like sort of once a fortnight or something like that and and sometimes I would, you know, the sort of second or third time I'd pick her up, I was the last person she spoke to two weeks ago. Oh, that's heartbreaking. You know, and you think, gosh, that's, uh, you know, it's really, really sad, you know. I want to do something for loneliness. I, I wonder if there's something that all of us can do to to combat loneliness. Yeah, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much, you know, like to... To have a chat with somebody, it really doesn't. You know, I, I've I've had some lovely chats, and one of the nice things about doing the the NHS driving was um, a lot of them were old, older people, and so they they didn't, you know, they didn't know who I was. They're not in my demographic, uh, so it was just lovely having a normal chat about just random things, rather than you know, rather than it being sort of pointed towards show business or whatever. And actually, here everybody's got a story. Everybody. That's what I always say. Whatever they, whoever they are, everyone's got a story in them, and I, I just found them absolutely fascinating. Some of the, some of the stuff that came out uh, while we were. I mean, there was one couple I picked up, uh, ninety six and ninety four. They were. Wow. And uh, and so I, you know, first thing I said, I said, "Well, come on then." I said, "How long have you been married?" Because they love talking about that. You know, they've been married seventy odd years or whatever it is. You know. I said, how long have you been married? Waiting for this, 70 years, 60 years, whatever. He said, six years. What? No. <laughs> I said, what? So there's a story here, six years. I thought it was going to be all, you know, a bit of goss. But actually, it was just a, love, a sort of heartbreaking, lovely story, which was there was four of them. They were best friends, and both their partners uh, passed away from cancer within six months of each other. And these two were sort of left and just decided to move in together. And then when they moved in together to help each other out because their partners were, were no longer with it, they fell in love in the 90s. <gasps> That's giving me goosebumps. Yeah, and I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. Like, I would never thought that was even possible. Like, what a lovely thing to happen. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I wish that for so many people who were sitting there yeah. on their own. Wouldn't it be lovely? Oh, we need I, like an elderly Tinder. Yes. What would yes. you call it? I don't know without sounding offensive after such a nice story, but but you yes. know some sort of like silver Tinder, you know what yes, I mean? Silver haired Tinder, that'll do. Silver Tinder, there you silver go. Silver Tinder. <laughs> 
Now, as promised, I'd like to tell you more about our fantastic sponsor of this episode, Simprove. That's S-Y-M-P-R-O-V-E. Now, I've been telling everyone about this company for years before we started working together. I love them that much. It's a food supplement containing live and active bacteria to support gut health and a balanced microbiome. The reason it's different to others that you might have tried is because its unique water-based formula means that it quickly travels straight to your gut to thrive and multiply, which is what you want. They're a family-run brand produced on a lovely farm in the Surrey Hills. I've been there. It really is lovely. And they're proud of their heritage and their evidence-based product. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, suitable for vegans and vegetarians. And it's available as a subscription, which is what we do, or start with their introductory 12-week program. The gut has an incredibly strong connection to the brain. When you sort your gut out, your general health just feels so much better. For more information, visit the Simprove website, and that's simprove.com. We have an exclusive discount just for listeners to this podcast. You can get 15% off the 12-week program by entering this promo code when you're at the checkout. It's G-A-B-Y 15. That's Gabby 15 for new customers in the UK. They have a helpful customer care team who are great and answer any question. And we'll put the phone number in the episode description for you. You're quite a romantic. I do get that. You know, when you did the Olivier Awards, I you are very... You get wide-eyed about things. When you present oh, and when yeah. you meet people, I, you definitely <laughs> get that there's that childlike, wide-eyed thing about you. Do you do, would you agree? Am, yeah. I, am I missing that or is that... No, no, you're right. You're right. I, st- I, still, I still feel like that, you know, and uh, I do have a bit of a wonder about things. I, I, I find things magical. I also find myself in a job that I, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be in and which job though because you've got there's many well, you've got many hats many heads i guess the world of entertainment i suppose i feel incredibly fortunate and and uh, it's it's a privilege you know to, to to do this job so i yeah so when i'm doing things like like you said the olivier awards or, or whatever it is i am sort of wide-eyed because i can't believe i'm surrounded by all these amazing people and you know it's like and it was it was one of those shows where Obviously, because there's no audience and there wasn't what we usually do, um, they sort of changed it a bit. They were like, oh, do you mind? Um, we're going to just do like a little interview with uh, Serena McKellen and uh, Don Black. And that. I was like, yeah, I think I can work that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was just fascinating. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Do you know, it. I have to say that moment. So a husband who's not interested in musical theatre or theatre, and as you know, I'm an absolute obsessive of that. Um, but we were yeah. watching your interview with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Don Black. And it was so gracious. And Don was, I've interviewed him a few times. Oh, what, a what a lovely charming, man. Charming, self-effacing, lovely man. And Andrew was, yeah. just couldn't have been more generous. And you looked, yeah. you, you handled it beautifully, but you looked in oh. awe of them, which was lovely as well. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I slightly was really. And uh, and the same with Ian McKellen. You sort of, yeah, I, I guess I was a bit, a bit in awe. But also... You know what's hard. What's what's hard for a lot of comics, and I don't mean to put us down as a sort of as a side of the industry. But what's hard for comics is to make anything not about them, because generally, if you're a comedian, uh, you've got there because you've you're, you're happy to be centre of attention, and you want to be centre of attention, and you want. And I, I've never sort of had that, so I've enjoyed being a stand-up, but I naturally. I guess I've always liked other people to do well and then and 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 I've always enjoyed sort of 
being just in that company and basking in their glory almost. You know, I remember when I used to do eight out of ten cats. Um, it was like the you know first big TV job I had, and uh, and I noticed after sort of a couple of seasons of doing it, uh, the new comic would always be on my side, and the older sort of comic would always be on Sean Locke's side. And Sean, he's a very funny, lovely man, but he can be quite hard. He can be quite hard work, you know, and uh, in that situation. And and I said to the producers once, why why do I always get the new comic? Um, and they always get the sort of, you know, the older comic. And they said, oh, well, because you're so g- generous with your um, your comedy and your time, then they, they it's easier for them to get some stuff in, you know. And I thought, oh, yeah, I do sort of do that. I, do, I often would sit down with, you know, I'd say, right, what's your best joke? What have you got? Well, let's do that subject first and get your gag in. And, and uh, so we all look good, you oh, know. That's um, lovely. And uh, and uh, yeah, I've always, I've always sort of th- thought like that. I mean, I set up a Manford's comedy clubs. Me and my brother have got these comedy clubs, which, I mean, they don't make any money at all. <laughs> They've been very much working at a loss, certainly during these times. But it's been a nice thing to have, uh, you know, just to give other people um, work, I suppose, and an opportunity. And, and I, I've never been one of those people who sort of brings up the ladder behind them. I just think, just leave it down and see who else can come up here and enjoy the good life. Well, you used the word earlier, and I've used the word about you before, and I know you don't get insulted, but to me, you're you're an entertainer, and I think yeah. that is the greatest you know, compliment. You know, there's I sort of put you in the bracket of of Bruce Forsyth, and um, well, uh, that... and actually Bradley as well these days, and mm. you, you know, there it's a you're a very special breed, and but my goodness me, you're you are like Bruce because you can sing, you can dance. We saw you. What were you? The the hedgehog? No, were you no. What were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hedgehog. The mass singer. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. shocked it's a lot of people. <laughs> it was funny that. Yeah, I mean, I worked with Bruce on a, on a couple of things, and uh, you know, he's a big hero of mine. And I I, I thankfully told him at every opportunity uh, that he was. You know, I wasn't I wasn't shy in that <laughs> in that praise, and um, and he was um, he was always so lovely and so complimentary and. Uh, I remember actually, funny enough, you mentioned Ordinary Lies before, because um, Bruce saw it and he he rang me what after it had been on and he said um, he said he said Jason I loved it loved it and I said oh thanks so much Bruce that's all I said he said you know I love seeing comedians uh, going into acting because the thing is we can dip into their world but they can't dip into ours. <laughs> uh, and it's sort of true in a way, you know, because we it, it, it is a sort of specific thing that, that uh, you do as an entertainer. But yeah, I mean, so, certainly Bruce is one of my uh, one of my entertainment heroes, you know. So uh, even just to be mentioned in his uh, in the same breath is a massive compliment for me. Uh, every time um, on these podcasts, I always ask everybody what makes them laugh, what makes them really belly laugh and guffaw. What's that for you? Oh, do you know? Actually, funny enough, while we're on the subject of Bruce, there is a uh, there is a, a clip of his from uh, the Generation game where he's so involved in the game. Ma- I think they're making pots or something, and he's so in- involved. I remember being there, and my grands, my dad was there, my nana was there, and I was about seven or eight, maybe. And he ran over to help, and he slipped one of his. Feet go and he slips and he lands on his back and he's angry at the contestant. But <laughs> that's that, that, that comedy angry that he used to do, um, like they're not trying very well. And he slips and he's on his bum in his suit. And I remember it was one of my, it's one of those moments that I remember as a child 
the three of us, well, my granddad would have been there as well. So, you know, three generations of people absolutely crying, laughing at him um, <laughs> being sort of mock angry <laughs> with this contestant. Because everyone else on telly was so warm, like, not, he, he was warm, but, you know, they were so, like, friendly to yes, uh, the contestants yes. on their game shows. And he sort of had this little, he'd rib him a little bit. And we were crying, laughing. And I just remember that sta- that stands out. And, and so now when I, you know, when I'm, doing stuff i remember doing um what would your kid do and you know and, and sort of just thinking oh i might try that i might tr- try that sort of um delivery really that that brucey uh, style of presenting and it's and it's great fun uh, to do so yeah that, that there's moments like that i think where, that i can think of proper laughing um and and other than that other than stuff that i've seen you know watching comedies or comedians i watch a lot of a lot of stand up um i guess it would be uh like just being at home and you know the kids are so funny and my my brother I spend a lot of time with my brothers he's a comedian and, as well isn't he uh, yeah Colin is yeah yeah and my and my other brother Stephen who's um he well he was a plumber he's, he works in a school now with um uh with the naughty kids and um he which is ironic because he was literally the worst and uh, but I guess it's like when you know when you get like a hacker to work for the FBI. Yeah, yeah. That's what I always say to him. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, we we laugh a lot, and, and and growing up we laughed a lot, and, and we we lived in a household which there's a lovely Tommy Tiernan line. He said he says um, I, I was, I'm from an underprivileged uh, background. I found out later, and that's what <laughs> yes. I'm like. Yes. Because our, ours was, li- I mean, <laughs> like proper Angela's ashes. Like it was really, and and but we, I don't remember any of that. I don't remember the struggles and the. I remember well, not having the. You were living in it. Things. You were living in it. Yeah. So you didn't know any different, did you? No, I just remember laughing. We just laughed so much. My parents were so fun. Whatever was going on once we were in bed, I don't know, but we had such a laugh growing up, and uh, and that's still. That's still around now, you know. We're still, we still have a good laugh, you know. We're, we're a very close family in that. Oh my word! How lovely to be able. Do you? I presume that's what you'd hope for your six kids that they remember laughter in the house, in the home. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and you know, I've had to check myself over the years because, uh, you know, uh, what I've not been able to do sometimes is is separate the stress of life and work and all those things to being at home, you know, and. Um, and I just remember having to sort of check myself a couple of years ago where I I just felt myself not being fun. You know, I sort of felt myself... And, you know, you get sapped into social media and, and sat on your phone and, you know, and you think, what am I doing? You know, so I sort of... We have sort of rules now, you know, where there's uh, the phone gets left and the laptop gets packed away and, and we get on with stuff and... And, and people think I'm mad. Like, I took the kids swimming because it was sort of just before lockdown kicked in and I said, right, we better go swimming because we're not going to get a chance for... Uh, probably for the rest of this year. Uh, my wife was working on something else. So I said, right, well, I'll take him. And I took six kids swimming. Oh, my word. you imagine? No, you imagine? I can't. I have two, and that's <laughs> enough for me. Thanks. Six? I don't have enough. Six. How do you have enough hands? Well, to be fair, the older girls sort themselves out, so it's not too bad. But, um, yeah, it was pretty full on, you know. And uh, And my daughter, she's so adorable. She said... She's she's eleven and she said, "You're right, Daddy." I said, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just busy because I've got a little two-year-old, you know, five-year-old, eight, uh, you know, eight-year-old, and uh, a ten and two elevens. So I'm sort of keeping an eye on them all, making sure they all stay alive, you know." Oh my and, god! Um, I know. And she said, "She said, do you want to swim, Dad?" I said, "Well, I can't really because I've got a little one." And so she said, "Well, I'll have him, and then why don't you go and have a 
you know, just do some lengths and stuff. And I was like, oh, what a great, you know what I mean? That just a moment where you, you, where your sort of kid notices that you would be happier doing something else. (laughs) But yeah, it was lovely. lovely. It was really lovely. And I thought, okay, well, someone's done a good job. (laughs) You were talking about vans. You're going to need a van to take them all around, surely. Well, we've basically, that's what we've, I sort of talked about in my last tour, actually, about when, when we had, uh, when I had five children and my wife wanted a baby and, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what we would drive if we got another, if we had another child. <laughs> and uh, essentially, we, yeah, we've, but we're basically in a, in a, in a van. <laughs> that's the only we, thing we can do. Yeah, because that's eight of you if you're going out with your wife as well. I mean, yeah, like my maths yeah. is really good. I hope you're yeah, impressed with well that. There. Yeah, done well there. Yes, eight of us out, out there. I've got to ring like restaurants in advance to go, we are coming, but we are in the same bubble. So please don't, because obviously it's like rule of six and that. Oh, yes. So what do you do? <laughs> Uh, well, you have to just tell them you're in the same bubble, and and obviously we're, it's obvious we're in the same bubble, and and we generally go to the same couple of restaurants, so it's fine. But uh, yeah, there, there's been a couple of times where we've been se- seated on separate tables, like two tables of four. <laughs> it's a bit awkward. And you're not allowed to talk to each other. No, I was like, well, why don't you put the six kids over there, and we'll have a nice little yes! date over here <laughs> with your eleven-year-old twins in charge, because they sound really <laughs> yeah. together. <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's very funny that that question you said when you were growing up and you didn't know any different and it was it was very deprived and everything but mm. you didn't know any different it's like when no. people have twins and they say what's it like to have what's it like to be a twin and the twins yeah. always go well i don't know any different I've no any different a no. twin. Oh, yeah my them. twins came first as well so i don't even know what having one child feels like Yes, <laughs> that's why you keep growing, and it's more and more and more and more and more. Um, well, so, no more. Uh, yeah, you say Done. that. No, I bet. I bet you'll there'll be another one soon. Can't. Um, it'll, be, it'll be medically impossible. Oh right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I get that. You don't need to give too many I'll be, details. I'll be after a refund if there's another one. I'll tell you. <laughs> Oh, you're so wonderfully northern. I love that. <laughs> Only a northerner would say that. Um, and I love northern humour. I just think, oh, there's something so special. A lovely northern humour or scouse humour. Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, I love scousers. They're great fun. It's properly in your bones. Yeah. I always say when you're doing stand-up, like, the further north you get, the more uh, you, the, the more the audience join in, you know, and, and sort of join in with the show. Like, by the time you get to Glasgow, it can be like, it's like being in a double act. Oh, don't. I I went to see Panto in Glasgow when I was working up there. I have never laughed as much. You know, when you, I'm not asthmatic, but I could have been asthmatic by the end of it. (laughs) Oh, my God. And it was northern comedians and and Scottish comedians all together. And the audience was so, the audience are so different up and down the UK, aren't they? Definitely, definitely. Which is your favourite audience, though? It's a tough one, really. Um, Because generally the people who come to see you are sort of, all quite similar you know so um but i do like playing it like like you mentioned liverpool like i do i do quite like a witty a witty audience you know so uh, uh, and they're confident as well uh, a scouse audience they're confident in their own ability <laughs> their own co- they're, they're like hey we're full of yours so they will sort of chip in uh, so i quite like that so what's happening with your tour then so does that and what's oh, happening with your west end show do you know any do you have any ideas so the west end show is gone that's all oh that's it and, that's it now yeah that's it kaput um i mean we were sort of towards the end of it anyway to be honest so we only really missed a few weeks uh my stand-up tour i'm supposed to be on my stand-up tour right now in fact yeah. uh but that is now delayed till next september pretty much looking wow. at the lay of the land it just felt like well to be honest you get to a point where you 
you know, uh, you sort of you're struggling to. They said, "Oh, we could start. It might start in April." He said, oh, "I can't. I actually can't afford to put all my eggs in that basket because if it doesn't start in April, then I've actually missed out on other work." You know, so I thought, right, I'll just I'll, I'll just try and bite the bullet and we'll do it next September instead. Uh, so yeah, that's a shame. I've still got the radio uh, of a week and, and stuff, and there's a there's a few you know a few little bits here and there uh, cropping up. So yeah, it's not it's not too bad. You know, I always say you know sort of you're doing better than some and not as well as others that's sort of all that's everybody really yeah um, yeah, yeah. so we we'll just get just get through it really but um and my wife's still working and stuff like that so, and obviously the kids are at school so it's um yeah it's kind of a bit weird really just being the one who because i'm usually the busiest and now i'm the least busy so it's a strange thing because we're all a bit mm. we all try and juggle and do all of the stuff and it's such a mad industry that we're in and suddenly yeah. when you're not as crazy as you were it's slight like you say that's slightly oh 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 what shall i do what shall i find what what can i do yeah. now what can i do now it's a strange yeah, it's way to be do you know what i really want you to bring back because i always talk about things that, because i said on this podcast we would talk about things that make people really laugh and as you know yeah. i was the biggest fan of the the big head show <laughs> I, I was talking about that last night, funny enough. Oh, please. Honestly. I'd love to do it again. And actually, it's so socially distant. They've got masks on. They've got big I mean, masks. It, it, it actually could be a show that, that could work. We were ahead of our time. Um, yeah, that was a fun show, that. For people who don't have not seen it, it was a, a, a game show <laughs> um, where, where contestants <laughs> would wear huge paper mache heads of celebrities <laughs> and, and play games. And race each other essentially, and, and play games. Oh, and it's just please, it's so funny. It was it's it so was a funny. lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and that and actually that was one of the first shows that I presented. As I said to the I said to the producers, right, I'm going to present this show, and I said to I've got a couple of mates who are writers, Gary Delaney and uh, and Christine Rose and Steve Edge, and we all sat in the writers' room, and I said, right, let's write these links. This is a mad show. People are going to have an opinion on this show, no, whether good or bad. So I want you to write all the links as if um, as if people have said said it on Twitter. So what are people saying about this show, good or bad, on Twitter? <laughs> and we'll say it first. That's so, so clever. And so that's what we ended up doing. So anybody who tried to have a go at the show, we'd already said what they were trying to say. Like, if someone at ITV's had a nervous breakdown, well, I just said that in the last link. Like, <laughs> we were... You know, so we we sort of did it like that, really, and it was it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, we had such a laugh making it, and um, I mean, I, so there's times where I, th- I occasionally see some of the the crew from it, you know, the, and I bump into crew on various TV shows, and they always bring it up because we had such a good time. Oh, but, but it I was, love um, it. Yeah, if it was, people it, haven't it, it seen was... it, I just reckon. I do you know? It's very funny. I was telling a friend of mine the other day when I knew you were coming on this, and I said, "Oh, have you ever seen the show?" And I told her to go back and look at clips of it. And she called me back. She called me up, and she just went, "That is the funny. Why did I not see it when it happened? It's yeah, just so funny. These celebrities chasing each other, going through the thing when they go through the window makes me laugh yeah. every <laughs> single time. And if people don't know what we're talking about, they're just going to have to watch it now, and it has to come <laughs> back." Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. What was funny was at the time my wife my wife's a drama producer and she was making Black Mirror for Netflix. So different. Um so she does like yeah, so she does like proper telly. <laughs> and, uh, and I and it was funny like I come home and I say what are you doing and she's sort of doing this really deep and meaningful uh you know drama about what whatever on on netflix he's like what are you doing and i was like oh just you know watching mo farah and donald trump run around <laughs> run up a travelator 
<laughs> Could not be any more different. Oh, I'm going to go. Actually, I'm going to go because I watched a bit of it yesterday. I was properly, but belly. See, that's what makes me belly. I love things. I, it's a horrible thing, and I admit it on this. And I keep saying I love it when people fall over. So long as they I don't love someone falling over. Oh. Yeah, same. I love a fall. It's always funny. We we had. I remember there was one episode we did where I don't know how they managed to get away with it in the edit, but we were there till about midnight, half twelve, because. Uh, these two guys, one of them was Boris Johnson, one of them was Mo Farah, <laughs> and they were, so, uh, or Will I Am, was it? it was, uh, maybe it was Will I Am. Will I Am and, and Boris Johnson, I think it was. And they were so competitive, these two boys inside, uh, that they were trying to get through that window. And everything's, you know, everything's, ta- you know, safe and tapped down and roped off and all that sort of stuff. But they were so boisterous and so violent that they, <laughs> they managed to bring the whole set that crashing no! down with them. Yeah. And it was heavy. Like I mean, oh. only only when I watched it back did I realise how close I was to this thing landing on my head. Essentially, like it was really close. Have they got any and, footage of that? Because I'd love to see oh, that. It must be somewhere. There was definitely an episode where where it fell down. I think it, I think they included some of it in there because uh, I definitely remember there was a point where I they said, "Look, it's too much. It's going to be too long to get the set back up, so we can carry on with this game." So we're just going to have to deal with it. I said, okay. So I ended up sitting on the end of the bed with Boris Johnson and Will I Am either side. Um, and I had to sort of give him a telling off. Like, look, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed uh, in you two. Like, it was. <laughs> oh, blimey. Um, Jason, thank you, my sweet. It's always lovely oh, to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. It really I is. I love talking to you. And, um, and good luck with all you do. And may you forever be busy. And may you forever just make everybody's bones laugh. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll be fine. But make sure we keep laughing. That's I, I said. You know, I, I keep saying it on social media. But the you know the in the darkest of times, you've got to find something to laugh at. I agree. And laugh about. And 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 I think it's important for people not to not to confuse laughing about the situation we're in, uh, and the and the madness and the mad, madness of the times with having you know disrespecting people who are dying or struggling and stuff like that you know i think sometimes people conflate those two things together you think if you're making fun of the situation covid or whatever it is that that means you you're not showing respect to people who are struggling and that's not the case you know but we have to laugh to get through you know have a little look at some comedy from the second world war they did not stop laughing those people you're absolutely right. So we right. need to do the same thing. Well, that's exactly know? why we, we, we've do, we're doing this podcast, because we just want to yeah. just everybody to remember that actually laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, before you go, actually, I, I, I picked up an old man um, a few weeks ago, and uh, and I was taken into the hospital, and I, and I was saying, and, and we were chatting about comedy and humour during this uh, this difficult time, and he said, um, he said you. I love laughing in a, and he was like in his mid eighties. He said, uh, maybe maybe towards ninety. He said, I love laughing at um, in a in a situation that you shouldn't laugh at. And I said, No, I'm the same. I, I feel the same. He said, I, He said, I'm always giggling at funerals and stuff like that. And I said, No, I, I know what you mean. I'm the same. He said, I remember. Um, I said, my best friend. He's no longer with us, but my best friend was a comedian. Um, in the you know back in the day, and he said, I remember in Salford when the Blitz hit, we were all in the in one of the shelters, all you know sort of twenty five thirty neighbours are in this shelter, and all the bombs are you know going off, and eventually we sort of come out and everyone's covered in dust, and there's houses have been decimated, and um, you know thankfully nobody had died, there was a few injuries and stuff, but and we're all checking everybody's there, 
and I remember looking up on onto a mound of um, of rubble, and he said my best friend was stood on the on the top of this rubble. This is like five minutes after coming out of the shelter, and somebody's piano in the house had obviously been destroyed. Uh, and this this friend of his, who must have been, you know mostly in his teens or whatever, had the the middle of the piano, uh, all the wires, and he was just playing it like a harp, uh, just for a laugh. Like uh, uh, on top of all this mound of rubble, and for so everybody started laughing. He said everyone was just crying, laughing at this kid who was oh. playing a broken, bombed piano as a harp. Um, and uh, and I said that is so funny that in that in like literally the worst time of your life, somebody's a found something to do that might make everybody laugh and B, everybody else is laughing and he said well I must say that nobody was laughing as much as me because I thought even as a 10 year old boy I thought well at least I never have to do those piano lessons again <laughs> <laughs> oh that's precious you've got to find you've got to find time to laugh you really have Jason Manford bless you thank you my darling my pleasure Thank you so much to our exclusive sponsor of this episode. Go to simprove.com and use the code GABBY15 at the checkout for 15% off their 12-week programme. Coming up next week, the singer, the musical theatre star, the presenter, the all-round lovely guy, Mr Michael Ball. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your reviews. I promise that the team and I have read them all and we really are rather overwhelmed and they really mean the world to us. So thank you so much. If you kindly leave a review or a comment, that would be lovely. Thank you. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.